Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, all. I had a really wonderful first official book reading here in New York at The Strand. It was totally sold out, and people were even being turned away at the door. We will try to do another reading somewhere in New York for those of you who couldn't make it. It was a blast meeting so many of you. Thanks to those of you who came and asked such engaging questions. Thanks also to Christine Lee of Coindesk, who did a fantastic job moderating. There are a few more in-person events that I'll be doing in case you want to get your book signed or just say hello. For folks in the Bay Area, on Tuesday, March 8th, I'll be doing a reading and signing at San Francisco's Commonwealth Club, moderated by The Information's Kate Clark. Doors open at 5.15 p.m., the program begins at 6 p.m., and the book signing is at 7 p.m. For people in Seattle, I'll be doing a reading and signing as part of Town Hall Seattle on March 9th at 7.30 p.m. at The Forum, moderated by Steve Scher of Town Hall Seattle. Check out the show notes to buy tickets to both of these events. And I may also be at South by Southwest on March 12th. Details still TBD. And I might also be in Boston at Harvard the weekend of March 26th. No promises on either score, but I guess if you feel strongly about either one, you can tweet at me as that might tip the scales. On April 5th, I will be in Miami doing a reading. And on April 9th, I'll be in Annapolis at the Annapolis Book Festival. Finally, on March 23rd, I'll be doing a virtual reading with Powell's Bookstore at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, and Jeff Roberts, executive editor of Decrypt and author of Kings of Crypto, will be moderating. Thanks again for attending if you came to New York, and if you want to come to the San Francisco or Seattle events, you can check out the show notes for tickets. And now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the March 8th, 2022 episode of Unchained. Buy, earn, and spend crypto on the Crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first 30 days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. This episode of Unchained is brought to you by Beefy Finance, the multi-chain yield optimizer. Beefy is the easiest way to earn more from your crypto. Deposit funds into Beefy's secure vaults to auto-compound yields across 12 blockchains. Got crypto? Choose Beefy. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking with Cross River Bank. Request your fiat on-off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com crypto. Today's guest is Andre Ternovsky 
founder of Chat Roulette. Welcome, Andre. Hello. For people who haven't read my book, it may come as a surprise that Andre has any involvement in crypto at all. But a quick heads up for listeners who are worried about spoilers, we won't give away too much that's in the book. For those of you who have read it and want to discuss the parts that involve Andre, I will be doing book clubs where you can discuss the book with other people who've read it so nobody has to worry about spoilers. So Andre, before we discuss crypto, why don't you tell us your background? How did you come to found Chat Roulette? I was a typical uh, geek, like many kids playing with computers, but it was a pure chance that uh, I put something together that went viral. Many projects tried to do the same, but they're not succeeding because it's a bit like lottery. And I was just on the receiving end of that luck. So made the website, went viral, uh, got a lot of attention from people, from society, from the, from uh, mass media, from uh, from the venture capital. That was 12 years ago. During the course of development, developing this project, I kind of ran into similar problems that many digital entrepreneurs uh, are experiencing, are running into, uh, such as working with PayPal, kind of one of the issues with when you work with PayPal is that because like it's such a strong monopoly, you are always, uh, you're very dependent on them. And you're in the, for instance, if they ask you something and they don't like the answer, you have no recourse and they might block your account. And it's kind of funny how a private company can have such a power that you actually beg them to bank you. Uh, and that's actually a pattern which I've frequently experienced that Actually, people want banks to bank them. Like they, they're begging and the banks say no. And that's like completely twisted logic, right? It's not like free market. That's actually what I see uh, that people want. I mean, there is two, two, two types of people. I mean, one is, of course, where it's the banks are running after them. And then there is one where they're trying to get a bank that will open a bank account. And I mean, that's certainly the case for Russians today. Uh, but it's in general was always the case for Anybody who wanted to do international, uh, well, may- maybe not always the case, but at least in the last 10 years, it was always a challenge to try to get the banks to explain like why is this like Russian kid wants to open a business bank account here. Uh, Wait, so, so I, even I, even with the popularity of Chat Roulette, they, they didn't even, want even it? With, even with the popularity of Chat Roulette, because people in the bank, they don't always Google, you know, I mean... <laughs> They, for them, it's you know, it's just like bureaucrats. Uh, if you run into somebody you know who knows Chatterlet, then it's easy. If somebody doesn't, then you get the full uh, array of questioning. So you couldn't add PayPal to Chatterlet, or no? I could, I could, but I just saw all this bureaucracy and etc. It's a bit known story. Uh, there is even website called PayPalSucks.com. Where uh, people are people are complaining that PayPal freeze their account, block their account. You know, it never happened to me. Anyway, so it's 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 all like this uh, digital payments. It's just uh, you know every aspect of it is so messed up. Again, as I saw it as a merchant, I I think that's like the angle that public doesn't know because the public sees it from the perspective of the end user, and they maybe end users actually don't really see the whole value of crypto. But the but the merchant side, the merchant side is paying out of fees, 
has to deal with this middleman. And I mean, nobody likes middlemen, you know? So I think it's kind of natural instinct when you see crypto, you have a lot less dependencies. And I mean, one of the reasons for being an entrepreneur in the first place is to be free, right? Uh, to not be a wage slave. And then if you're, if you made it, but then you're still kind of, uh, you're still accountable to a private company or like a bunch of private companies, it's a bit like a shadow justice system, right? Because the companies get to decide and it doesn't go through like proper due process. But you know. wait, I, so I don't know if I fully understand. So yes. you were able to add PayPal to chat roulette. Yes, but I was, you, I was. But you, you acted as if you couldn't or something. I, I, I was, but I just know how difficult it is and how tense, tense it is to, to accept payments. And they are always very touchy about it, you know, and they ask a lot of questions and you never know that if it will work tomorrow, you know, that's kind of the thing. And one other thing I wanted to ask you about was, I mean, you were just a teenager, so I don't know. I'm assuming maybe, you know, you, you didn't come from a wealthy background, but after you created Chat Roulette, I imagine that your life changed and on that score. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, uh, that was something. I mean, uh, yes, definitely came uh, from, um, from an, like a normal family maybe uh, on the upper end of normal because my parents were working in university and that's, well, that's, I mean, makes a big difference, of course, in terms of how you grow up. But in terms of finances, well, I, I was actually, I was feeling like a bit like rich kid, but I mean, what means rich in Russia is different than what means rich here. Like, you know, I still had to do like all the other kids, like save up, two years for, for, for a new phone and just all these typical things, you know, and I was living in the same, uh, exactly the same, uh, like typical, like a commie block apartment. I mean, again, I, maybe my classmates had like a, a computer uh, that was 10 year old. I had five year old computer, you know, so it's like, <laughs> I, I had the latest video, video card, uh, you know, they had one before or like, but, you know, st things like that. But actually I was, I was the first one who had the computer in my class. I mean, huh. actually for the okay. first five, for the first like five, six years of my school, I was like one of the only kids who had the computer. And of course that was also creating like uh, traumatizing me socially because just imagine the distance. I mean, it's like people who don't have a computer, they live a completely different life. Just imagine that someone who is uh, socializing every day uh, out on the street and you're like sitting like a dork you grow into different directions cognitively. So after you founded Chat Roulette, how did you get into crypto? I saw the the problem of middlemen, of of just this impossible impossible problems. You have a monopoly. The monopoly is not even efficient because it's again it's because it's rich, right? So they don't need to optimize everything. Monopoly doesn't care about small players, all sorts of reasons. Monopoly, and I'm not even talking about like Monopoly abusing its power, right? I'm just even on the efficiency level, you will expect from Monopoly something like that. It would not work on the weekends, you know, or it will work only two hours a day. This kind of like, if you try to go to embassy, embassies work like two hours a day, once a week. Look, for instance, like App Store in the, on the phone. It's, it's a brilliant idea to have an app store, 
really. It's one place where all the apps are. And it has like all this moderation and reviews, what users want. And it's secure because uh, apps don't get from outside. But again, in practice, it's a bit like dystopian what happens because in the end, then a big one company, private company starts to get all this power. They censor apps that compete with their own apps. They start to say, okay, if you take payments, you should give us a cut. So then at some point you must have heard about Bitcoin or something. Is that? Yeah. I, I Yes. Uh, was it like 2011 or 2012 or? I don't remember, but I think it was it maybe 13, uh, actually I heard, uh, l- later than others. Like when the price went to 1000 Probably, yes. And I, I, I bought after the first bubble collapsed. And so did you become interested in it right away because of this experience that you had? No, not really. Not really. You know, like Russians are, are skeptical of, of crypto because we had in 90s experienced a series of Ponzi schemes and just all these high yield investment schemes. And it's just in general, like, I mean, this was like a value that was taught in my family that you should do useful things for others, you know. Don't think that you can buy some coin or a stock and get rich because, I mean, even mathematically that doesn't work, right? Because if everybody would do that, uh, how would, world, would the world work, right? I mean, you know, it's what it's Kant said. Only the things that are right are the ones that would be valid if it would become universal law. Like you cannot say as a strategy, buy coins to get rich because the strategy doesn't work for others, for everybody. It's, uh, it's a lot of it. But it's also interesting how in, in the professional, in, well, it's not professional, but in all these investment books that you get from Amazon, it was always saying the opposite. Like it would say, do not think you can beat the market because if it's, everything is already priced in. So basically be a good boy and, you know, just buy into a fund, a diversified fund and you pay less least fees and you're diversified. And again, if you think you can beat the market, you are under some kind of cognitive bias because more than half of the drivers think they are better than other drivers. You know, this is they. they you read these books and you stop believing that you in yourself. That's kind of funny. That in crypto, I think the people who made it big were either too ignorant of what their professional advice is, or because they they they, they had like the balls to read this and say, you know what, I disagree with this. I am actually smarter than others. You know. <laughs> right, right. I've written things saying that yeah, you should just buy an index fund and et cetera, et cetera. But so then how long after you found out about Bitcoin, how long did it take you to decide to buy some? I don't know. I was, uh, it's slowly, I mean, again, first I had this reaction because it was like, it's unsustainable. You cannot have an asset that grows fundamentally as an activity. I mean, I have, if I have a real job, why do I need to like gamble? And to be honest, I, this is something I think even today that if you have uh, your own business, that's where you should invest because, and not crypto, because if you have your own business, you have an edge, you have a private information and you have, you're not dependent on others. So you're, you become the master of your own destiny. And, and, and when you touch the markets, you just cannot control how other people behave. So, but then it's actually more complicated, of course, because crypto becomes a bit like a hedge that everything else screws up, right? So it's more complicated. Anyhow, I slowly uh, progressed in me and I was, I would say one of the strong statements in crypto, again, for, for me, 
I feel like I was always not taken seriously <laughs> because I was always somehow not right. You know, either like I'm somehow kind of, as you wrote, that I'm not perceived as someone like as someone serious. And, you know, like there's like two types of people, the ones who have like a hollow effect and they get like the benefit of the doubt. I was the opposite, you know, and, and what I like about crypto is that crypto just doesn't care. It doesn't care how eloquent you speak, who you know, what kind of credentials you have. You have private key. For tech people, it's perfect because it's like it's, it's ultimate meritocracy. But by the way, tech people, tech people hate crypto as well. And because I'm also reading tech forums, I mean, the ones who didn't buy, the no-coiners, <laughs> they are very salty. Anyhow, but again, tech people like meritocracy because tech people can't compete on looks and appearances. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you, but we're going to, we'll talk about that after a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Building the next big thing in crypto? Cross River has your back. Whether you are a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payments solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, CrossRiver's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. Finance is changing. Strategies are changing. Holding is changing. Beefy Finance, the multi-chain yield optimizer, allows you to maximize passive income while you sleep. Simply deposit your crypto into Beefy's secure, industry-leading auto-compounding vaults to put your funds to work. Each one of Beefy's 740 vaults automatically reinvests the interest gained on your crypto deposits, earning you more while saving you time and fees. Beefy's strategies create bank-busting APYs with 0% deposit fees at the click of a button. Join $1.4 billion of investments and understand why so many users trust Beefy with their financial independence. Visit beefy.finance and take control of your financial future. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first 30 days. With Crypto.com Earn, you can get industry-leading interest rates of up to 8.5% on over 40 coins, including Bitcoin, and earn up to 14% on stablecoins. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere. Enjoy up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Back to my conversation with Andre. So the reason why I disagree with you, and I know you haven't read my whole book, but you've read you know, the parts that involve you. You are a whale in crypto. And as people will read about in my book, or maybe they've already read it, whales have a lot of influence. So I wonder, do you think that takes away from crypto's claim to be a democratizing force in finance? 
there is the theory and there's a practice, you know? Right, right. Uh, but, but you were saying that it's the ultimate meritocracy, but it's, but based on the events that actually happened, I disagree. I was sold on the vision. I was sold on the vision, like on the theory of it, you know? Of course, there is the pure mathematical model and there is reality. And the reality is that it's not a pure meritocracy. This is based on the events that I discovered it's, in my it's, book. It's oligarchy. It's oligarchy. Yeah, yeah. Now you're backtrack. You're saying different from what you said before. I know. I would say the truth is always in the middle, right? So it's it's, uh, or maybe it's not, which is also a fallacy. But uh, I would say again, this was the vision that I was sold into. I was I bought into, and I think that's the vision many other people are buying. But of course, the more time you spend into in it, the more you understand how things are more difficult than you originally perceive them. To me, it looks like exchanges treat whales like you very well. I mean, do you think that everyday users of exchanges get the kind of treatment that you get? It's complicated. Like I say, it's on a case-to-case basis. You know, I also I think in general, crypto isn't like one thing. It's many different ideas which are organized. You know, I mean, I guess decentralization is one thing. But for instance, BitTorrent was also decentralized, you know, I mean, crypto as in that the cryptography is used, okay, that's also exists. But then you also always had this PGP, you had before, way before, PGP Corporation, uh, probably the, the inventor of Bitcoin was employee number two, you know, half in uh-huh. Yeah, because PGP Corporation, I mean, it's used in every, I, I mean, again, this, this was a thing before crypto. Uh, I think every browser has this like support for PGP and it's it's like a de facto standard for uh, communicating encrypted uh, messages over internet with public key crypto. I mean, in particular PGP. And Hal Finney was employee number two. I mean, you know, so I take that pretty seriously. And I mean, so anyways, so you you have these crypto punks. So you have decentralization. You have crypto punks. And crypto isn't about blockchain. Crypto is about usage of cryptography. Right, cypherpunks. CryptoPunks, the NFTs are different from cypherpunks. Yeah, cypherpunks, <laughs> yes. Again, then of course you have this like things like proof of work. And proof of work was also it's like also independent strand because originally designed to combat the problem of spam. Yeah. It's from the nineties, nineteen ninety-three. Yeah. I guess the ledger is the one is is the breakthrough, right? The blockchain, <laughs> the one that united at all. So I would say, yeah, probably blockchain is the big concept, but also blockchain can mean different, many different things. You know, they, they also say that there is, that technology is neutral, right? That, there is, that it's, it depends how you use it. Right, right, right. But, but that's what I'm saying that, that with this, I don't know, I definitely think after writing my book, I have a much greater awareness of just how much influence whales have. That's only one factor out of many, you know, the whales. I would say it's, I mean, it also depends what is your criteria of success? What is the goal? I mean, this is all very complicated. Like you, you, you have an artifact, which is this invention, but you have to separate what is being promised and, and who is promising what. Because that's also what people say, ask me, people ask me, well, isn't it a bubble? Isn't it, isn't like, isn't it like a Ponzi scheme? I'm saying, no, it's not a Ponzi scheme. It's a bubble because the Ponzi scheme you have you're promised something in crypto you're promised nothing <laughs> so like nobody's promising you anything in crypto you know so i also have to separate that like it's it's just a blockchain it's what you make of it you know 
Yeah. But like I said, I do think if you have a lot of coins, you get treated differently. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I think it's a bit like constitutional monarchy. So you, yes, you are treated differently, but there is still some framework around so that like the average guy, average Joe has a, has a chance. I'm sorry, you called it constitutional anarchy? No, mon, uh, constitutional monarchy. But oh. constitutional anarchy is also funny, but uh, <laughs> constitutional monarchy, you know, which is like you have essentially a person who has a lot of power, but there is still some constitution that puts some boundaries on this power and also gives an average person some kind of chance. Okay. Yeah. Oligarchy, I guess, because there's multiple power players, not a single one. Again, I say it's about boundaries that you, you have these people who have tremendous amount of power, but still an average Joe still has a chance. He's, he can still buy his, his shit coin and he has a chance to make it big. In the real oh world, boy. we don't have that because you, you know the investor protection. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I do agree. I do agree on some level with, with what you said. So we've just talked a little bit about Bitcoin, but what's your take on Ethereum? What do you think of it and how do you hear about it and get interested? Well, I, I fell in love. I mean, I moved to Zook. Then after I moved to Zook. And why Zook? It's really the most logical choice. For, just for tax reasons? To minimize your taxes? In Europe, you don't live in Europe and uh, it's not from outside obvious, but Europe is very socialist and it has extremely high taxation rate. I mean, so most of the countries, when you're in the upper tax bracket, there is minimum 50% of income tax that you have to pay. So you like, you can look, you look at the Scandinavia, beautiful countries, but if you move here, you will pay uh, 60% of your income will go to the budget, to the state. Well, I mean, that's how they make the countries beautiful. They, they pay, you pay Thai taxes and then you get all, you get the beautiful country. Yes. So in whole Europe, there is only limited countries, which you would move to if you want to pay a reasonable amount of tax, really very few. It's like Monaco, Liechtenstein, Andorra. Maybe uh, you can work out some non-domicile agreement in UK. But it's like, it's really like UK, Switzerland. Again, you just have really few countries. And even within these countries, it is only very few places you can move to. Because for instance, uh, in Switzerland, you also have different countries, depend, different taxes depending on the canton. Zurich, for instance, it has a 39% income tax. Zook has 22. So if you just run this uh, like algorithm, find the cheapest taxes. You just arrive to Zook. Okay. So you moved there in 2016, I believe. And then afterward, you found out about Ethereum. How did you hear about it? And what were your thoughts about it? I heard about it, I, I think from Wikipedia, I, I, I searched Zook. <laughs> and I, by the time they already moved out of Zook. I mean, obviously... Uh, was no brainer. It was everything that Bitcoin had, but better. Because you, you can, I felt actually, I was mistakenly thinking that on Ethereum, you could do like a proper decentralized apps, like decentralized websites, like Chatroulette. I was thinking that Bitcoin is just is decentralized money sending and Ethereum is like decentralized platform for any apps. So you could like make like a Reddit on it or something. And I, actually that was, I, I invested based on that idea, but actually it's not true. Uh, and we all know, you know, it's uh, the practical limitations, the, the, the fees, the throughput, 
well, the fact that it's so open is good, but also makes it make, create some challenges to, to make an, an app like Chatroulette. Anyhow, I was thinking this is like a decentralized cloud. You, you put your app and nobody can stop it. Stop it. <laughs> uh, it was in that direction, but it was, it was a subset of features, but actually quite like crucial features. What we see now, we have, uh, we have these ideas coming, but they all come as a separate project. Probably the future of blockchains is kind of silly, uh, but it's like where you, would, you could put like images and stuff, you know, uh, <laughs> not just the code for the financial transactions. And of course, like their experience, people will disagree with me because they will say, well, you have IPFS for it. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. So. One thing I do describe in the book, your involvement in the DAO. And I've seen people talking about it on Twitter. And obviously we you know, promised we wouldn't divulge any of that. So people who haven't read the book won't have it spoiled for them. But I was curious, you know, you did not reveal your role in that for many years. So then why did you decide to talk to me and, and reveal that in the book? Because you asked. Because nobody asked. Nobody oh, there, asked. There, oh, really? There, there, there were no other journalists that ever asked you? No. No. Oh, okay. Because I don't know if you remember that I... Because I didn't have the contact. Well, but do you remember that I initially was contacting you on Signal... Yes. And I, yeah. And, but I can't remember how long I did that. That was for months and you kind of just were being cagey. So it's, it felt like you were on the fence. Well, that is also true. But I mean, it's like, it's, it was an intuitive decision. I didn't want to, to push it, you know, because you were, you were very mild in your initial request. And uh, the second time around, you were more insistent and uh, you had more details because initially it was like, cold call, <laughs> cold mail. So, uh, and then after that, you already were like, spoke to these people and that people. And, and, you know, I felt that it would be a shame if, if you only have bits of the story, because, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I, uh, I, yeah, I wanted to help you, I guess. Why not? And I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, I mean, it's all interesting, right? From like, from history, his, his, historiography perspective. I mean, it's all like life is a case study, you know, there, there are the facts, but then there's the analysis of the facts and there is the experience. So I, I like to talk about, uh, I like to reflect on the meta level about things, uh, because like, otherwise what's the point of life? You know, if you do, like, if you just like solve problems one by one, but you don't stop and think back, uh, that's kind of boring. So anyhow. No, I, I think what you did is great because not you're right. I, I personally think that the historical record is important. So for people just to know what are the basic facts, but then at the end, we also have your reflection about it. And, you know, that, that was interesting to me to see your arc as a person, even with the kind of small role that you had in the book, you know, you've changed by the end, uh, which is fascinating. People can read about it, but I definitely think it's one of the most interesting storylines in the book. And I really have to thank you for, for sharing it because I just feel that, you know, the understanding of what happened at that time would not be complete without that story. And I love it that you also reflected on why you did those things and it showed, you know, how much you had changed as a person in that time. How do I uh, carefully describe it without spo making, giving the spoilers? 
Well, I think what you said about how you had been kind of a troll and immature and then later you. You know, I would say there is, I would say there are layers to, to this. I mean, that's like one dimension that I thought it was funny, all these games with the, it, it was funny to see and, and play in all these games around this uh, DAO, uh, white hat, black hat. And I, I feel like I don't regret that. You know, I feel that's, yeah, it was like living in a movie, you know? I mean, uh, I, I do see some other people are a bit more tense and took it more more seriously than I did. I mean, particularly like a, a white hat group because they were I, they felt the pressure of all these uh, funds on their shoulders. But it's also like a mindset, you know, because that's one view. But another view, like, holy shit, like we are now playing with millions and we, we are now like on the forefront of innovations. And yesterday we were nobody and now we are like rescuing the community. I mean, holy shit, that's amazing. I mean, what else can you ask for? Like that's highlight of your life in a way, you know? But I think that there is different mentalities because as you can tell, I am more like, I'm more treating it in a way that I treat more like life as a game. I am more like in an abstract way. Uh, and some other people, they get really serious about things, you know? Yeah, but also you, and you also said that some of it for you was an intellectual exercise, which I also think is a good point and really interesting. Academic, academic. Yeah. Yes. And, I, and I would just say to give more nuance, I don't, look, I think, I think if we said A, we should say just, we, just, we should just say B, especially to the readers that uh, watch this after reading the book, right? Because uh, let me just describe it in my own words. Wait, so are you going to spoil? Because if you are, then we should tell people that if they haven't read the book, then maybe they want to do that before they finish. <laughs> I just find my commentary to be a bit out of context. If it's like, if I, let, okay, let me try to give the commentary to people who read the book without giving the spoilers. Okay, uh, let, let's continue that. Again, I think that there is like, basically, again, there is a lot of layers here. Uh, for instance, one aspect of it. Let me just talk about like DAO. Again, as a spoiler, I was not the hacker, right? So did not hack anybody. But uh, <laughs> I, for instance, I don't think that hacker is a bad person. Yeah. Did you read my article about who I... Yes, yes, yes. Well, yes. Okay. Well, whether he's a good or bad person is a separate topic. I don't know him personally. I noticed that his project went from like billion to, to seven million. So probably that's maybe even worse than uh, what he has done in DAO. <laughs> So, so that's maybe like, uh, yeah, I think it was more like 535 million to, yeah. Yeah. But imagine how many people bought into it. So like, you know, the karma came back there now through you. So it's not the even initial hack. It's the ICO. I would, I would find even more concerning, but the initial hack, I actually think was brilliant. I believe that the, the whole idea of smart contracts is that we don't want to use private company because we don't trust humans. So we want to use algorithms because they're better than humans. And then someone, someone finds the flaw in this algorithm and people lose the money. Yeah. But you know, if people didn't want to, to do that, they should have just went to the, I don't know, Wells Fargo. <laughs> it's, I, I, I mean, I, I just, I just fundamentally don't agree to the people with people that, that would think that hacking smart contracts is in any way unethical. I mean, wow, it's like it's a strong word. 
it's maybe it's maybe unethical. Yes, it's unethical. It's unethical. But it's not it's not it's not like uh, illegal. You know, it's it shouldn't be illegal. Like you know, like if you hack a smart contract, I would say uh, don't take hundred percent. You know, take ten percent. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, in this case, they took thirty one percent. Yes, and that was maybe a bit more than they should have. If if they would have taken ten or twenty, there would have been no hard fork. But wait, but wait, because. Uh, like in crypto all the time, there are researchers who find flaws. And instead of taking the money, what they do is they fork the code to, you know, a safer version and then rescue the money. And so, but you think that they should instead just hack it and only take 10%. Is that what you're saying? Well, look, everybody has different reasons for doing things, you know, like uh, you have to separate as well that if people perceive that there is criminal liability, and they want to sleep well at night. That's one aspect. They just want to have simple life. And I mean, I, I can say, if I were to find an exploit, I would definitely today not exploit it. I would not. So you and, would tell the developers and try to to fork yes. it to something. Okay, but you just said that you would, or or that you think it's okay if people take ten percent. It's it's more it's more complicated. Like for me personally, I want to to be like in harmony with society with government, because I want to sleep well at night. I don't want to have anything to hide. I don't want to, uh, you know, I want to be free. You want to pay your low taxes. <laughs> yes. I, like like now, you know, I'm free. So I, I want freedom. Yeah. Uh, and because I'm like, I'm already rich. Why should I have more problems? You know, but again, for someone else, the calculus might be different, but I would still separate it from the person on the personal level. Honestly, even if, if I lose money, I would probably also seek like legal recourse for uh, because I can because government is also a system right which which people will read you definitely uh, seem to like doing that like I know this maybe is going to veer off the topic a little bit but I am curious because right now you are in Russia and it has this conflict with Ukraine and we've seen crypto being used in this historic way in this conflict and. Well, I don't know. I mean, you texted me. I don't know if I can say this, that you're trying to leave Russia. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Yes. Uh, I think it's almost unethical to not talk about it today because that was something happening a lot more important than DAO uh, in the short term. It's a mass murder, you know? Now it's like, really, it's, uh, it's, there is darkness, there is mass murder, and there is no way back. You know, when the first hundred people killed are killed, there is no way back. Yes, it's basically, uh, it's shocking. Personally, uh, I'm blessed to not be affected. Uh, so I cannot fully even fully emphasize with the people that are, that maybe have their, some body injury or have their relatives. Uh, it's, I mean, health, health is, is being alive and healthy is the, is the biggest wealth you can have, right? So, and, yeah. and now these people are at risk. But as you're watching crypto being used here uh, in this way, what what are your thoughts? Well, uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic. I mean, uh, crowdfunded war. Well, the, like you know, the water finds a way, right? So innovations they trickle down when, wherever, whenever they need it. Uh, I would say probably Russia should, if Ukraine Ukraine added uh, this uh, donation wallet, Russia can do the same. And I would not be surprised if some people donate to Russia as well. And then we will have like two wars, two sides crowdfunding war from both sides. Yeah, I'm surprised Russia hasn't. 
I, I mean, I don't think they would get much in donations. Maybe that's why they haven't. <laughs> I did want to ask you, you know, obviously you have been very engaged in crypto, even if people didn't know it until now. Do you have any plans to launch anything in crypto or do anything entrepreneurial in it? Can I just uh, finish to the crypto yeah, yeah, topic yeah. Uh, sure. with, with the yeah, war? Yeah, yeah. Because I think the initial idea was to talk about the crypto aspect of it. Because yeah. now we have yeah. we, are, we have a sanctions. Uh, I think that's kind of that's an interesting topic, uh, more more like less controversial. With uh, where okay. Russia is being sanctioned now, and uh, crypto de facto today becomes. Uh, I mean, this is like a, a no-brainer. But I have employees in Russia, and uh, I was just told by the bank. That, that, they, that the bank cannot send uh, any further transfers to Russia. So uh -huh. it means I cannot pay my employees. And it huh. uh, seems like the only way is to use crypto. So on, at least on my personal level, uh, it's happening from the, every direction. Russia is, is blocking outside transfers to preserve the foreign capital inside the country. So if you want to make transfers in, into Russia or outside of Russia, crypto already becomes probably uh, if if not already it will become one of the only options so i i could expect a demand for crypto to go up from russia from ukraine and yeah. you know already U ukrainians and russians have a uh, 11 12 percent i i read somewhere a study that 10 percent of russians have crypto as uh, and simon ukraine and again especially now with all this political instability there is a strong case for crypto you know, it's like gold went up six uh, percent in the last months, and gold is a really big market. So six percent is a lot. Again, for sanctions, uh, for the reasons of sanctions, for the reason of political instability, there is a strong case for crypto, even stronger than the case during the COVID, because in COVID people were also fearing the end of the world. So this is a similar situation now. So does this inspire you to try to launch anything in crypto? Uh, there are some people uh, who think that decentralizing Chatterlet could be interesting. I think that Chatterlet can be decentralized because just this model of peer-to-peer -peer connections essentially already is decentralized. So it's not that much work, but it's more complicated, you know, because for Chatterlet, the question is like, why do people need decentralized Chatterlet? What problem are we solving? So it's, it's, it's uh, because... Look, do you want to meet people or do you want to meet people in a decentralized way? You know, so it's, uh, th there is more complicated case for why to do that. Because uh, it, when you decentralize a project, you don't just offer decentralization to, decentralization to your end users. You're also creating a DAO. And in DAO, you're, you can let your users own a piece of the platform. You can also source talent and you can compensate the talent. And as I, as I was told, there are many people today that would actually not like to work for a traditional company anymore, and they would prefer to work for a DAO. So if you want to tap into this kind of pool, into this kind of talent pool, it seems you, can, you, you might consider decentralizing your project just for that. But uh, it's, a, it's a big decision because Chatterlet, unlike other, some other projects, already exists. It already has real users. And I don't need to make like a white paper and push some shitcoin. Uh, actually, for me, I'm thinking in terms of the what value it brings to the end user, you know. Uh, and it's kind of decentralization is 
you have to pay tax for it because look at China. Uh, China is very centralized and that's why it, ha- it has some efficiencies, which democracy, democratic countries don't because to, for a decision to be taken in a, in a democratic country, it has to go through multiple layers of approval. If you look at the, how projects are built, there is actually a lot of centralization built in to them in the back door. Like uh, the DeFi projects like Compound Finance, they do have, the operator has a backdoor that to make a change inside. Oh, even now? Uh, now, I don't know, but I, it used to have. And I wouldn't be surprised if they don't, because if you remove a backdoor, you, it's very, very dangerous. It's, you know, you want to have a backdoor. We, what we learned from DAO is that it's, there's always an illusion that if things work today, that uh, they will work tomorrow. But it, it's, it's amazing when you have a complicated system that there's always comes up edge cases, which you could not have thought up adv- in advance. Right. And actually, there is a theory behind it, right? It's called uh, halting theory, that there is certain properties of the program which you cannot predict upfront without executing the program. Uh. Because of the loops. So if you, if, if, if you don't have loops, just like one direction, you can kind of like uh, do static analysis. You, you can see all the states that can happen during the execution of the program. Hmm. But if you have loops, it, it becomes what mathematicians call a weak formed problem. Because you cannot like c- compute that if you have loops. Okay. Because if you, you don't know if, you, if the loop was taken or not. Long story short, uh, you need a backdoor. And I think also on the government level, you need a backdoor that you can have a bureaucracy, but you need also a backdoor where uh, uh, like an, uh, an individual can intervene if he can see something going wrong. And that's why we have in Europe, we have, we have a constitutional monarchy <laughs> where uh, <laughs> monarchs have a veto power. Like they don't have any other powers except the veto power. So oh, that is what like backdoor is. I would, make, I would suggest to do the same for projects like Look, I, th- I think the goal is not complete decentralization from the day one. You know, you leave humans, yeah. you know, like it's, me- it's called me- mechanical torque. Right. Where you, you put humans in, in kind of certain stages, you put humans, but you put like a, a boundary around them. So you can say, okay, here we need a human co- confirmation and here is like a, the public key of this person who, who should confirm. And if we're not happy with this person, we should vote and put someone else's private key, private public key. Anyway, sorry, I'm not, I'm, I'm going too technical. But I do, some of the projects that, I think they've started that way, but then obviously because of, in the US, you know, the SEC would come after you if you're too centralized. So I think over time they, they try to shift yes, away from but that. They, they're, they're centralized, but they're hiding it. Or they decentralize over time. They start decentralized and then they shift. And I mean, like, look, look, the thing is there is lots of interesting problems around DAOs that people don't understand up front. For instance, one, for me, one of the first learnings was that DAO is not just to uh, ask all the people for the vote and then uh, 51% decides what is right. Vitalik talks about that. But even in the real world, if you would run the companies like this, what would happen is that 51% of the shareholders would say, look, this 49% of the shareholders didn't attend this meeting, we are here. So let's strike them off. 
in terms of the majority is correct, right? Majority is right, but is it fair? No. And that is why in the traditional corporate law, we have minority protection. And then another problem is insider trading. You also, uh, in traditional world, you cannot announce something that you cannot sell your shares and then say, okay, you know what? We have some big problems. Then uh, the price dumps and you, and you say, oh, you know what? Never mind. And you buy them back cheap because there are insider trading law. In DAO, there are no protections. So there is lots of things like this. And I would say it's layers of layers of security and uh, checks and balances and redundancies. Because look, for instance, Russia is being attacked. There is not a democracy. But what we forget is that uh, in West, democracies were being evolved for, for hundreds of years, for centuries. Because essentially what every government experiences every year is a kind of form of a DAO attack. Because someone finds an edge case in all these regulations and exploits it. And next year, they make like an ad hoc patch. And that's why we have like a hundred, hundred, hundred books of tax code, which is another problem. It has been so great talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for talking to me for my book. Um, I'm very interested, you know, for more people to read the book and uh, hear their opinions on what happened. I think I will be doing some book clubs. So maybe what we can do is have you back for one of the book clubs. And then you can talk to people who've read the whole thing. We can talk freely. No worry about spoilers. And yeah. And so then that will be, uh, then we can get into the details. But thank you so much for coming on Unchained. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Andre and my book, The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Mark Murdoch, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.